This is episode number 132 of the Rising Man podcast with Emiliano Acevedo. With sky above and earth below, we plant our seeds and watch them grow. Hand in hand upon this land, we know that we belong. Blessings and good rising to you, my Rising Man family. Jetty Azuma here, bringing you another episode of the Rising Man podcast. I am the host and creator of this podcast, as well as the founder of the Rising Man movement. And I'm so glad you decided to join us here today. Before I get into today's episode with a very special guest, I want to make sure that you guys are aware of all the opportunities that are waiting for you. I say this just about every week, but I feel like I need to keep reemphasizing how important it is in order to continue your journey in developing into the man that you want to be whether you want to be a father or a husband or just to serve your community in a greater capacity, it requires that you continue to take steps forward in your journey of becoming. And I know the same has been true for me. That's the only reason that I speak from that place. I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have men's teams, if I didn't have men's circles, if I didn't go to workshops and retreats to continue excavating the stuff that's lurking beneath the surface that I can't see, and then taking what I root out of the soil and turn it into something positive, something progressive. And so this is an invitation for you to step forward, to become a bigger part of the Rising Man community. We've got a whole bunch of opportunities for you guys to be involved, especially remote opportunities. If in this time of COVID, we're not able to get together, you can head over to risingman.org and check out our list of offerings. Whether you want to take the first step in and become a part of our virtual men's fire circles, get assigned to your own team of men, begin to develop community and tribe and brotherhood with men from all over the world, the fire circles is definitely for you. If you want to take a step beyond that and step into a team, a circle with me and my co-partner who's leading that with me, Phil Gomez, then you can step right into Inferno, which is 12 weeks of high-level accountability, high-level leadership, preparing you to become the leader that you want to be in your life. And if you're also looking to engage in a ceremonial initiation, a rite of passage to mark a transition in your life, whether you're marking the journey from boyhood to manhood, or simply just marking the end of a chapter and the beginning of a new one in your life, then come out and fast with us for four days. Compass is our four-day fast where we take you guys out into the wilderness. You don't eat any food. You spend four days alone out in the wilderness. It's an incredible experience. More information on all these opportunities is at risingman.org. So pause the episode, go check it out right now and get yourself more involved. Okay. Today's guest on the Rising Man podcast is a very, very dear brother of mine, Emiliano Acevedo. And for this introduction, I don't need any bio to be written up. This is a man that I've known for the past 15 years. In all the time that I've known him, he's been a man of great vision, of great action, and grandiosity when it comes to perspective on the world that he sees. Emiliano and I met back in college when we were 17, 18 years old and just becoming, the beginning of becoming the men that we are today. And Emiliano has spent large portions of his life creating and developing community around him. He also spent a year in prison, which we talk about on the podcast and how he utilized that experience to vault himself into his next stage of development. And currently, Emiliano and I are living on a piece of land that he visioned into life. And the magnetism that this man has to create community around him is incredible. So in this episode today, we discuss the birthing of vision and how our mutual pursuit of community and wholeness has blended our lives over the past 15 years. 
We talked about Emmy's time in prison and how he utilized the simplicity of incarcerated life to take a huge step forward towards fulfillment and becoming the man he is today. We discussed how the multi-layered system of corporations, government, and legal structures have made it difficult for families and communities to join in collaborative lifestyles. And the vision for Mountain Home and what's on the horizon for the next generation of people. With great pleasure and humble, humble gratitude, I present to you Emiliano Acevedo. Rising Man family, first recording from the new Rising Man headquarters here up in Santa Cruz, California. And this is a really special episode today for me because I'm bringing on another man in my life, one of my closest brothers in the world who has seen me through my journey, who we've supported each other in our own journeys in getting to this point and excited to share this man and share his story because he's been immensely impactful in my life. So Emiliano Acevedo coming in live, coming in hot from Santa Cruz. How are you doing today, bro? I'm doing very well. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I've heard many episodes over the last few years and excited to uh, chime in. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, let's start off where we start every episode. I'm interested to hear your perspective on this question because I've actually never heard it. And that is, what is the difference between a boy and a man? I knew this one was coming, but I actually couldn't really think of like a very elaborate answer. But, you know, every time I hear you ask this question to other guys, I'm always left with a simple answer, which is that a boy does what he wants and a man does what he has to. Mm. Tell me more about that. What does a man have to do? Well, I think that a boy or our youth is defined by kind of pursuing the things we want and as we mature into adulthood and manhood we start to see that there are things that we need to do in order to pursue greater goals and greater ambitions and sometimes in the short term those would appear to be sacrifices but i think a truly enlightened man can actually maintain the perspective that those sacrifices or those difficult tasks that need to be done in the short term yield greater benefit so i don't really believe in the idea of sacrifice per se i think that it's all about the context and perspective with which we frame any specific event or action and if we take a wide enough perspective we can always see or we can choose to see how something that may be uncomfortable or inconvenient in the short term actually leads to greater benefit and greater true joy, peace, happiness, all the, the real goals in life a little further down the line. Or even, and if we really get there, we can actually live that now and mm-hmm. not, not resist doing the difficult things and actually know that this is what it takes to have that amazing life that we we want to pursue. Yeah, I completely agree. I found the same to be true for myself, that the things that I have to do to take care of my family, the things that are required or asked of me to be a leader in my family, a leader in my community, a father, a husband, all of those things, I got to be able to and willing to get uncomfortable in, in a lot of different ways, physically, mentally, emotionally. And I'd say that was probably one of the hardest parts in my journey was accepting that discomfort was a baseline. And I don't know if it was something that they wrote on the brochure about what life was supposed to look like, whether it was the misperception that it was going to be easier 
to navigate adulthood or it was going to be different than it actually was. But the accepting that has made my life a lot more simple. Yeah. And I'm actually wondering at what point you, if you can nail down a specific moment in your life or time of your life where that became more apparent, where you finally realized that and accepted it. Yeah. You know, I look back on my youth and I really remember my mother kind of strongly reinforcing this notion of transcending just like a very selfish perspective. Um, but I think that the moment that I was able to internalize that lesson where it went from just kind of an abstract intellectual theory to, you know, embodied wisdom was actually when I went to prison for a year. And prior to that, I had been living a very kind of exciting and fun and a little bit rock star lifestyle. And then I got in some trouble and kind of the world came crashing down. And I found myself at, I guess, a version of rock bottom there. And but I was really clear that like I was going to make that the opportunity to to kind of refine myself, to hone the sharpness of my my blade, you know, and just started building up a more solid foundation of, I guess, the story I told of who I was, you know, the story I told myself about who I was transitioned from someone who was pursuing this gratuitous and exciting life to someone who was building a foundation for community, for family, and for making the world a better place. So was it going to prison that sparked that? Was it a combination of factors? Yeah, so I think the, you know, the previous life kind of crumbling down facilitated that transition because I think there was no question that I had to leave something behind in order to come out the other side a better man in a better place, to not be resentful and bitter about what had happened, but actually see it as something positive. And then being there, I was there for um, nine, nine and a half months, and I really focused on personal growth and development, meditation, writing, reading, just really being, giving myself that gift, which is actually really hard to do, I think, in today's age, to take a year for just self-work, where you're not having zero obligations to anyone. So that's definitely a big silver lining of that experience. But I tried to use that time to just put, kind of let the the less noble parts of myself fall aside and and find what was at the at the core and and you know just seeing that what was most important to me was really my community and my people and my family allowed me to then build up a new version of myself from that core and then you know was able to when I got out start to continue to build on that in different ways and you know in the much more kind of entangled world of you know not a very structured disciplined prison Mm -hmm. and it's interesting for you guys who've been listening to the podcast for a while you've probably heard me speak about the period of my life where i had an incredible community living in new york city Uh, a lot of this gratuitous adventurous lifestyle that emiliano was talking about we were both walking parallel paths and a lot of times i go back to that period of my life where i felt an absence of mentorship and saw an absence of elders, especially elder men in our community to help us steer our way. And I talk about it like the blind leading the blind. You know, we were leading ourselves in in whichever direction was exciting and was new and different, which I also have come to find is, is an essential part of development as a man in this day and age is to have those experiences, those moments where you see what you're capable of, test the boundaries, test the limits and I really learned a lot about myself and I know we were learning a lot about ourselves and each other and I remember when when you went away 
we started this pen pal writing letters back and forth, which at that time in my life was not something I was accustomed to doing. And we actually just unpacked those letters recently and going back and seeing my thoughts and my thought process and the words I was writing to you and yours as well. I remember that was the first time in my life that another man who I respected really called me forward. I remember a specific letter. I think it was after we had come to visit you and me and my my buddy who came to visit you we we showed up we were both high we'd we'd smoked some weed before we got there and i remember just the you being able to convey your your disappointment about how we were showing up in that moment where you were you know you were locked up a lot of your liberties and freedoms weren't available to you and i remember reading that letter and just feeling like that sense of like oh man i let someone i care about down but it stands out in my memory because it was the first time that someone other than my father had actually held up the mirror for me to look at the things that I knew were going on, but I didn't want to face off with. And that I really look at in our relationship is when we, we finally started to call each other to a higher level of being, whether we were aware of it or not. Cause I was, I was 23, 24 at the time and you were 24, 25. So figuring that out and and establishing that level of relationship that's the type of connection that i talk about that men are capable of and i think we all need we need those relationships in our lives and uh, so i wondered what that experience was like for you to to recognize that and express that and then to start having this new dynamic to our relationship that previously wasn't there well i think that has been really one of our our greatest blessings speaking for myself one of my greatest blessings is having met each other at that critical kind of moment in life as we transitioned out of our parents house in college and while we were the blind leading the blind i feel that we had an intuitive sense of just brotherhood and love and you know just connecting as men in a way that i think wasn't really modeled for us too much in our society is still not modeled too much which is a very self-confident tenderness and ability to open up to other men and and show that authentic vulnerable self and be seen and be recognized and feel safe and so i think that that process of figuring our way forward with no clear guidance or teacher or mentor actually set us up for a lot of success in that we learned how to lead ourselves and each other forward and gave us, you know, a a level of self-reliance and, you know, self-confidence that we could do it and that we were doing it and that it was going to happen and that all of those beautiful things that we knew were possible were actually already unfolding and we're not some, you know, inaccessible dream. You know, so I look back on that time really as as this amazing gift of just community and brotherhood that I don't think any of us could have really planned for, but just kind of fell in our lap. And we, I think some inner, you know, wisdom just knew what, what to do with that, what to make of that, how to work with that energy, that you know, camaraderie and just vacillating between poles of, you know, having fun and being rowdy and ruckus as is, I think, appropriate for men in their young 20s, while at the same time searching for a reference point of genuine meaning and something to build on to, you know, continue to transition into the next phases of our life i think the key is to keep growing and mm-hmm. and we set ourselves up for a path of continuous growth at that 
at that time. Mm-hmm. And at the same time that we were having this, well, actually, let's, let's dive deeper into that for a second, because I know that when I received that letter from you, it was really uncomfortable in the moment because it brought up a lot of things for me around, especially at that time, you were one of two men in the world that I trusted the most and to have been exposed for things I already knew about myself, but that were uncomfortable to face off with. It was very, it was very vulnerable. It was very uncomfortable. And at the same time, it led to a greater depth of trust and connection, which is not always apparent on the surface. It's kind of like, oh, I've got this thing about myself that my my brother here sees and he's going to tell me about it. And that's actually his highest expression of love and support for me. The reason I bring this up is because I know there's a lot of guys out there who are going to hear this who don't have that context for relationship with another man, where being called forward by another man or called out by another man is often something that splits a wedge into a relationship versus creating deeper access to intimacy, connection, trust, etc. So I would just want to speak a little bit more about what that laid the groundwork for and, and why you think that that's important for, for guys to have. It's very hard to grow by yourself, right? It's very hard to see myself for how I'm really being. And right? I think the, the story we have of ourselves is so strong that if left unchecked, we'll quickly kind of depart from reality and just keep progressing into a more sugar-coated version of reality. And this happens to me continuously through life. I feel like there's a process, there's moments of getting really real about what's happening. And then there's moments of just getting comfortable and not wanting to go so hard and so deep. And so I think that having that process of growth, you know, and just searching from a young age just made it so that now it's habitual. It's like, I know that every so often I need to kind of strip everything away and go deep and see what's happening because, you know, a vision and a goal, it's not about like, oh, I found my vision for life. It's like, what's leading me forward in this moment, right? There's like goals or a sense of who I want to become, but then you'll achieve that. Well, you know, that arrives and then it's not, the story's not over. It's just about now. Okay. You know, you can't rest on your laurels for too long. You've done what you set out to do or you've become who you wanted to become, at least in part. And now it's time to reach forward again and and pursue an even higher expression of oneself. And so I think that getting into that rhythm early was just such a huge blessing because I look at a lot of our peers, even, you know, the guys that we went to college with at the time, and you could just see the plateauing. It's easy to plateau. It's easy to reach a state of comfort where the need to keep growing is not as apparent, right? And I feel like that is the the trap of our society and of this moment. It's the great trap of just getting too comfortable, you know, mm. and it's very easy between you know, Amazon and Netflix and, you know, the overall just wealth of this country and most of, the, you know, many of the people living in it, that it's, it's easy to not just keep pushing oneself. But ultimately, that is the, the sweet nectar of life. You know, that sense of just growing and growing and growing is what keeps me energized and just inspired, you know, and I feel like the dark moments for me come when I don't see clearly like what's the next 
step? What is the next chapter that I have to pursue? Mm-hmm. Or what's the next iteration that I need to be unfolding into? And that's when I'm, I'm super grateful to have brothers like you to just be in that struggle with, you know, to, you know, because part of it is just those moments of not knowing, mm. you know, and being comfortable with that and just being with what's really going on in an authentic way and being with people who are used to seeing you that way is just the greatest gift. Mm. And I feel like the rarest treasure in this world, in this country, I don't know. I imagine there's maybe places where people live a little bit closer to that. But here I feel like the default is to everyone just present the sugar-coated version of themselves and be willing to see the sugar-coated version of the people in front of them, even though some part of them knows that it's more or less bullshit, that it's a highly optimized story of what's really going on and so yeah 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 and the part about what makes that work is the willingness not to be right there's a there's a righteousness that i know i felt in my early 20s really through most of my 20s that gradually that i gradually melted away because my commitment to being right and having my story be the way that the world was was very limiting and it wasn't until I could sit in a circle with five, six, ten other men who were all reflecting back to me something that I didn't want to see especially in those moments where it's something that I didn't actually believe that can't be the way that that is That's what are you guys talking about? that's not what I, what I was my intention behind it but accessing, like you said, that deeper level of truth that is what makes growth possible, that willingness to be right is something that I think has to melt away. And it's a gradual process. Like you said, it's, we, we come up against this believing our story probably for the entire human experience. And it's not, it's just part of being human, I think, and having these fail safes and these checks and balances in place that return us back to, oh, the path the way, the way I want to be, what's going to be effective for my life based on what I see and what I want to create, which is a nice segue into speaking about vision. Because one of the other things when I tell my story, people who listen to the podcast always hear me talking about you and Phil when we pretty much from when we met, you know, talking about when we, when we really forged that bond of brotherhood, wanting to create life together and create family together and not really knowing what that was or what that could look like. But this distant star that we all agreed to travel towards so that we could one day live amongst each other and raise our kids together. That was I always reference it as the guiding light that has, the vision that I've held on to for the longest of my life. And this is kind of a momentous occasion because here we are recording this conversation on land that you've purchased and agreed to steward, that you've invited myself and Phil and our families to come live here. So that's a vision that's been 15 years in the making, and now we wake up and we live that vision every day. So I just wanted to open up the space for you for you to speak about that and your experience of that and, and maybe even just what What's allowed you to carry that vision in your way for all these years? You know, I think that it's it's kind of the most basic thing in the sense that human beings are genetically predisposed to tribal to to being part of a tribe. And by tribe I mean a group of people larger than a nuclear family but smaller than, you know, a town. So, you know, whatever 
100, 250, you know, just a, a larger level of connection and interaction. And so I think that that vision of community, I feel like was born from just the feeling that I that we all have being together. And I think that many people don't believe that that's possible. And I feel like what I thought a little different was that it was inevitable. It was just the truest thing that we had. The seeds of it come, I think, from my childhood, the way I was brought up. My parents, being good Latinos, were very open-hearted and welcoming of everyone. And because they were so open-minded and tolerant and accepting, most of my friends at a young age and my sister's friends, everyone felt very comfortable. And so our home became a bit of the central reference point for our group of friends because it was the one place where we could all just be our authentic selves without having to kind of hide what we were really up to for the sake of our parents. And so that for me really persisted as kind of an ideal state of generosity, of hospitality, of open-heartedness. And then things really turned a corner when we all started connecting. And I think that that little seed landed on very fertile ground and rapidly spread like, you know, like poison oak uh, around <laughs> here. Um, it took root in everyone's heart. And I think that it continues to be an extremely infectious idea because anyone who comes around us and sees the way that we live and the way that we relate to each other and the way that our kids, you know, play together and grow up together and how we really orient our lives to support that I feel that anyone who sees that is touched and it lights the fire inside of them that reminds them of how essential it is to just have that background connection to people. I've spent some time intellectualizing this idea and coming up with a more extensive kind of mental framework around it. I think that it's the optimal situation for us to really fulfill our human potential and by human potential i just i think of really our potential for spiritual growth and awakening for living in harmony with each other and with the earth and the truth is that our society today doesn't really encourage that in a big way we live in a consumerist and consumptive society that is you know, quickly consuming the world and the natural resources and, you know, hurting people in many ways. But I don't want to, you know, go too far into the negative, but just to say that when I look at what would be an ideal life, I think about kind of ever widening circles of identity, starting with myself as an individual and then going to myself as a couple with my wife, myself as a family with my children, myself as an extended family with you and your family and, you know, my brother and sisters and all the people that are in this immediate. And then from there to our tribe, from there to community. And so in order to be able to continue to widen those circles of identity and to really hold that sense ultimately that I am one with the universe, which, you know, is, you know, the 
the culmination of many steps, there are pragmatic, economic, financial elements that have to be addressed. I feel like the many people have this idea on a spiritual level, but they don't translate it into a pragmatic economic level, right? Like, what does it really mean to be one with my community on an economic level? It means that... I want to create a situation where our success, where we are economically interdependent and where we can reinforce one another's self-sufficiency, resilience, capacity to adapt to a changing world. And so I think that community is the vehicle where all of those levels of identity can be harmoniously integrated. You know, having friendship it's i can't overstate enough how important for a healthy mind body and soul it is to have close friendships and to be able to spend time with those friends hmm. you know how healthy it is for a relationship that I, for my relationship that i have friends you mm-hmm. know because if i use my wife as the you know the, the repository for all of the good and the bad and the, the you know for everything it's just she'll be saturated she'll mm-hmm. be you know she can't take it all just like i can't be the repository for all of her you know fear anxiety stress like you know she there has to be other people to spread that energetics around and when those people are there then everything flows so much more smoothly so i really see it not so much as altruistic but really as a deeply pragmatic solution to the challenges of life in the 21st century Hmm. yeah and there's a lot to unpack in what you shared a lot of layers i think will be really valuable for people to hear the first thing that really stood out to me was taking this idealistic spiritual theory of how life could be that i see a lot of people experimenting with you know the folks who are out there on a spiritual journey whether they're indulging or participating in plant ceremonies or just going on walkabouts adventure like that adventurous lifestyle that opens one up to the rest of the world that never gets integrated or planted in the soil. It's like having a beautiful flower that is ready to blossom and grow, but not having anywhere to place those roots so that they can gather nutrients and energy from the soil. I think that that's one of the biggest differences in in our experience is that we, we experience that through, like you mentioned, meditative practices, just living in a loose version of community from the start, going to Burning Man and having opportunities to practice collaborative living and work and translating that beyond those boundaries, which I think what a lot of people do is they go to thing, they go to festivals, they go to Burning Man, other places, and those ideas and practices live and die out there. You know, how many beautiful, vibrant communities out in Black Rock City never make it back to someone's neighborhood, their home block. And that was always my highest commitment. Once I recognized what I felt internally in being in partnership and collaboration at Burning Man and recognizing there was no reason why we couldn't bring it back to where we were at because we were going to Burning Man and doing community out there with the people that we were living in the same neighborhoods as. And that, that for me is how it started to come together. And then recognizing that if we want to have family, have a marriage, have children in the way that we believe is possible, it can only happen if we're working together. And I think that's where a lot of suffering is for a lot of people in the world is that they're trying to be everything for just their nuclear family, their partner and their kids. 
maybe a couple of other people. But that's exa- that's exhausting. Well, I think people are are scared because we're everything in our society tells us that that's not allowed. Just for example, the zoning laws make it so that you can only have one house per lot, right? To live, to actually think of developing into a like a real living community requires fighting against so many forces in society. You know, just to think about sharing resources with other families is, you know, almost considered crazy. You know, I think it's considered communist or socialist. You know, people put names that they use to kind of denigrate it. But the point is that it's not encouraged, but actually discouraged Mm -hmm. strongly by the institutions and by the cultural norms that have taken root in this society. And I think by this society, I mean both the United States, but also the globalized modern um, society that is rapidly taking over the entire planet. So I think there's a lot of people who think of going backwards to a more idealized, simple time when humans live closer to the land. But I've always thought that that's just another fantasy. I I, I don't look back as there were some perfect time that we're trying to emulate. I mean, if you look back, there were other problems, slavery at a much higher rate, sexism, you know, just disease, death, like all kinds of stuff. So I think that we're actually forging a better way that has ever been practiced before. And it's about taking the wisdom of our ancestors of many traditional societies and integrating it with the wisdom of modernity, of science, of technology, and trying to fuse those elements into a coherent strategy, vision, possibility. Hmm. And I think that's the work of our generation is to come up with a viable game plan going forward. Hmm. Because neither the truly traditional pre-modern culture nor the modern culture is a viable long-term solution Mm. for the 21st century for the 22nd or 23rd or 24th centuries yeah you know and so i think the the commitment to look forward seven generations really requires some radical ideas and some radical possibilities and and ways of looking at what we're doing and why we're doing it Yeah, and I think that's, if you go back through the annals of history, change on that level and that scale always requires the first cow to step out from the herd and start wandering in the other direction. And by no means do I think that we are those first couple of people, but experiencing it, living in it, looking around and seeing if anyone else is doing it and if they are, how they're doing it, it certainly feels like we're on the leading edge of that wave. One of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation and future conversations that we've already spoken about is for those of you out there who are listening to know that it is possible. And it's also not easy. It's not, there's no blueprint for it. I mean, we're, we're literally making it up as we go every day for the most part. We, we have plans, we have intentions. And just like everything else in life, plans and intentions adapt and evolve to what shows up and what presents. And even in this time right now where we're in the middle of a pandemic, that gives a different level of challenge and consideration to how how we establish community. Even just the way that we are learning how to contain ourselves. And what does that look like when we have different people from different backgrounds with different perspectives on the world coming to some level of agreement? 
which you know for me one of the one of the greatest lessons i learned about living in community and in collaborative lifestyle was when my gosh it must be three plus years ago now when we were living in kind of stage one of this community style with two other families and your family came out on your bus from the east coast and we're like well let's figure out and see what this looks like if we can make it work and having eight people eight adults and two children under one roof that had a lot of love and respect and trust for each other who you know pretty much as close to parallel visions as there possibly can be experiencing some fundamental challenges and hardships that were difficult to navigate you know that that for me was one of the most illuminating experiences that even if you have this level of love and trust and respect there's still other pragmatic and functional practices that need to be in place in order to succeed love and trust and a mutual vision of what's possible isn't enough it's a huge part of the equation but there's definitely more so i always wanted to hear what your perspective was on that and what your takeaways were from that first stage of trying to make this thing happen yeah i mean we as you know came out with high hopes of joining the six or the seven of you and really quickly you know taking the big step forward into the next stage of of community which we had been kind of envisioning for probably a decade prior and when we arrived it was quite the opposite of what we expected in that you, the six of you had already been going through a little bit of a challenging experience where everybody wasn't ready to necessarily take the next step together. And at the time it looked like, you know, it would require taking a step back. And I think on some level it was, but it was really a step back to then leap forward. It was just people you know, that's where all of these pragmatic aspects just get so real. It's like, you know, having kids and not having kids are just very different stages in life. And it's not the easiest thing to reconcile a lifestyle of having kids with the lifestyle of not having kids. And so being able to look at these pragmatic inconveniences and just face them without feeling like it's a failure or that something's wrong and just looking at them honestly and doing the best with what's there i think that was really the lesson of that moment you know but then basically from there everybody went their own way for a year or two and then look here we are now where we've taken a big step forward in that not only now we're living together as in a way that's much more sustainable where we each have our own homes and we're not trying to all, you know, sit on top of each other, which I think is challenging, more challenging than is worth it, uh, not necessarily better. Yeah, so that was a very, it was kind of a humbling moment. You know, we took the plunge, we moved out to California, mostly, you know, there were other considerations, but the big one was to join forces with all of you and to just make the dream happen and so when it seemed like that was not happening right away you know we were a little bit disappointed and took a little bit of getting used to just to to face the fact that it's not going to always look like the way i want it and personally i consider i i recognize that i'm a bit of a like a freight train you know what i mean it's just just willing things to be you know and usually i just over try to personally overcome any challenge that arises but this was one of those where there was no amount of you know smashing my head against it that was going to fix it you know or that was going to resolve it because it was just a matter of 
letting things flow kind of follow their natural course. And so that was a big lesson, you know, in humility and in patience and in not being discouraged by disappointment. And, mm. you know, that's one that it's, it's important to take to heart because I'm sure it's not the last one, <laughs> you know, where things yeah. don't go exactly according to plan. Right. And just in, in knowing you for many, many years, I've come to appreciate that part of your medicine, of the gift that you bring to community is being that freight train or, or even just the man who's willing to look at an obstacle and see a different way around it or not even see the obstacle, but you know, look through the obstacle as to what's on the other side and sometimes blasting through it and sometimes you know, pausing for a moment and, and taking a step back. That's one of the greatest gifts. And I'd actually like to hear a little bit from you about that, that ability that you have to just not accept no for as, as the outcome, you know, to not to not accept that we cannot have this. This is community is not possible because of this obstacle and to, to look beyond that and, and find a way, because that's that's what I've seen you do time and again, is you. You just seem to find a way. I talk about it here on the podcast a lot of being a solution oriented person versus a problem oriented person is one of the great gifts of the masculine that I think you embody really well. So what's allowed you to do that and how has that matured over the years in your development? Well, thank you, Jetty. That's I try to be someone who focuses on the solution, but I think that, you know, part of it I think is is just the luck of the draw and getting a very optimistic disposition and being encouraged from a young age to trust myself and believe, you know, and I thank my parents for that, for giving me a really good operating system to run, you know, a really good attitude. And, you know, I think the spiritual life has, you know, given me some of the other, the spiritual practices, the spiritual experiences of knowing that, you know, we don't necessarily always know how things are going to turn out, but they always do turn out. And that's that's like a tautology, right? You get to decide that everything came out for the best, right? And it's, again, it goes back to all about our uh, perspective, right? Because for every negative hypothetical, and by that I mean like, if only, what if this had happened, right? We look at something that could have gone differently and imagine that our life would be better if it had. We could just as easily come out with a positive hypothetical where maybe we would have been hit by a car if we had gone that way, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many things that could have gone wrong. And we know that life is so fickle and so unfair in many ways that we get to choose whether we got lucky or unlucky, you know, mm. because we can't imagine how many different outcomes there could have been to an event. So I've tried to always maintain that attitude that everything is going the right way, mm. you know, and I think that that is part luck, part privilege of really having a blessed life and a wonderful family and wonderful friends and financial security, right? So I get that the harder things get, that is harder to do, right? So I, I say that with a lot of humility and not just like, oh, everybody should just like be positive, you know, because I am very humble in the fact that people have a lot more challenging obstacles to overcome. But the fact remains the same is that we get to decide what the story of what's happening is for mm -hmm. ourselves, right? That is a fundamental 
skill that we have. And I took that responsibility and that power very fully. You know, I really get like, I am making this happen, all of it. You know what I mean? That live, that's how I live my life. And everything that's happened, I'm making it happen. And if it's not happening, it's fine. I'm making that happen too. And so that coupled with, I think, the sense of the noble vision, you know, that it's it's not what I want, it's what's best, you know, and I think that, you know, I temper that with a sen- with the sense of, you know, we always have to check ourselves and, and make sure that we, that I check myself and make sure I'm not going into an ego-driven sense of, I don't know, some kind of messiah, savior complex where I know what's best and other people don't. It's more of just not letting an obstacle suddenly make me bitter or angry or if somebody doesn't want to do what I think they should do or doesn't want what I want right away, not letting it get me down on a a personal level, right? It's just really keeping that perspective of everyone has their own struggles, their own journey, their own path of growth. I know what I'm standing for. And so the real where the rubber hits the road is between I know that I'm making everything happen. Everything happened in my life is my responsibility, my doing. Mm -hmm. But then there's all these other people around me who are also that, who are making it all happen for themselves. Mm. And so there's a... This is where, you know, I I think of magic. I'm not magic like Harry Potter magic, but magic in that things can happen on at layers of reality that are not immediately apparent to us mm. and that we don't necessarily discern as clearly with our logical faculties, but that require, they live in the world of, of like willpower. I don't know how to, this is, I, don't, I, I always remember when I was in prison, there was these, this moment when I was meditating and I could just feel my prayers going out. I could feel that the things that I wanted in my life were already there, were coming. You know, I could feel that my will was kind of going out and drawing those things to me in the future. And so I think that I've just kind of always tried to remain focused on that, you know, just keep driving, driving, driving at that thing. And then the obstacles that arise, you know, sidestep them, bypass them, plow through them. You know, I think as I get a little bit older, I do less of the plowing through them and the more of the dancing around them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to not get too abstract into the metaphors, I think, you know, at root, it's a matter of perspective and and patience and really trying to not make it about myself, not make it about what I want, making about because I really do believe it's what's best for human beings, for all of and And as my family, you and your family, and, you know, as my people, it's like, I want that for you because I want that for me. And I want that for everyone, but I don't need everyone to come live with us. You know what I mean? I need my people to want that right now because, you know, that's what affects me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've been really blessed with just meeting people like you who get it and who, you know, draw me forward. I mean, I feel like the the notion that I somehow made any of this happen by myself, you just want to make that super clear, was not is not what happened. You know what I mean? I think I've done my part and that's what it takes. For me to do my part, I'm super clear about what my part is. And a lot of that was thanks to, you know, going out with you and doing a vision quest and going out and fasting and seeing that my job is to open the door. That's what I see my vision is, is to open the door to this possibility for my people and for, I hope, for all people one day, you know, however that means. If I can just plant a seed here that will keep spreading, I will feel 
you know, fulfilled in that sense, but that's not enough. I'm just doing my part, but there has to be everyone else doing their part. And that's where I think the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And we've been really blessed to have an extraordinary group of people kind of coalesce around us and with us and around them, you know. And, you know, it's a very exciting chapter now where we finally managed to consolidate a little bit of a home base here Mm. in Santa Cruz, in Soquel, in the mountains. And I think that now that we actually have that gravitational nucleus, things will rapidly start to accelerate around us where people will quickly be able to see the clarity of what's possible and the benefit that comes from living that way. Very pragmatic, concrete, economic. All of the benefits are not just like spiritual. They're very real. It's like you will be more at peace. You will be happier. You will be more financially resilient. All of these things, I think, are the fruits of living in community and of, of being in community with other people. And then beyond that, just the joy of of a shared existence, mm-hmm. you know, is also hard to overstate, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a happy place to be, you know, being here with you and your family and the kids running around and, you know, we're building a house for Phil right now so that he can come with his family. That's like the happiest I could ever imagine being, you know, is, is seeing this come together. Mm. Yeah, man. And what comes to my mind as we're speaking about all this is resilience and tenacity. And I want to give a shout out and a blessing to one of the elders in our community, Cap Young, who for me really planted the first seed of, of what it could look like beyond just raising kids together and and hanging out for the rest of our lives. You know, um, Cap, has carried a vision for what he calls Mountain Home and what we've affectionately come to call this land that we live on, Mountain Home, that was more than just a physical place, but really an idea and a way of life. And also Mark Bass, another elder brother of ours who has helped cap and his grounding and implementation of that vision, that resilience and tenacity just to, to keep your eyes on the prize and to recognize that we don't ever get there by only dreaming about it and keeping our eyes up to the sky, but checking in with that frequently and often, not just internally with ourselves, but also with each other. You know, we've, we've talked about it out loud with each other over and over and over again for 15 years now, more or less. And to me, as the more that I have these conversations, the more that I talk with people and people ask about how I live my life and what I do, I recognize that that is not yet the norm. That's, that's far from it. It's a departure from the modern way of life and the way of thinking. Just in an acknowledgement for you, man, I see you as a man who's really carried that through all of the challenges, all of the obstacles, all of the hardships, not knowing how or when or where it would actually materialize, but not really making that the point, not needing to know how you would get there, but just that supreme focus on the what that steers you through any kind of weather. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for that, man, the way that you've been. Like you said, we've all played our role. And I can honestly say that you've played your role and served your role very well as, you know, the buffalo carrying the medicine, leading the charge, blasting through barriers, shaking things up and stirring the pot and, you know, making, inviting us all into a greater level of discomfort that ultimately leads to fulfillment and satisfaction. So... It's really great to have this conversation with you and to know that this is really just the first or next stage of the unfolding of of a vision. And I really intend that this conversation will ripple out to more people who 
have this desire in their hearts. Like you, I think you said early on that this is something that is not unique to you or me or any of our family. It's something that lives within all people to belong to something, to, to work collaboratively in these social constructs. But the fact that we don't know how to do it, that there's not a blueprint for it, or if there was ever a blueprint, when there was a blueprint, it's long gone or hard to access and hard and also, and then hard to create in the world within the confines we have. So, so yeah, before we start to close it out, man, any last thoughts or things that haven't been said to close up this conversation? Well, I think that that was the baby that was thrown out with the bathwater of modernizing and, and for all of the wonderful things that have come, I think, and I really do believe that there's many wonderful things that have come from modern society. I think the one big loss was that sense of being together in and of itself as the the foundational place where we all kind of start and then within which we can do whatever we want to do. And so I'm really excited to be working so you know working deliberately on that process of reminding us and reminding everyone of how good it can be and how healthy and how happy and how peaceful and and all of these wonderful things that don't require money it's not you know it just requires organizing our minds in a certain way i love you bro beautiful man (laughs) yeah i love you too i love you too it's uh and, and just to tease this a little bit, Emiliano and myself and, and Phil, who you guys have heard many times on the, on the podcast before, we decided that that story, that 15-year story that's led us to this moment of living together cooperatively is, is something that we get to catch and share here with this audience. So consider this a coming attraction for at least a three or four part <laughs> series on, on how we got to here, how we got to Mountain Home. And beyond, of course, because this, you know, in many ways, this is just the the beginning of something else. So before I cut you loose, man, uh, I'll hit you with some lightning style questions here. First is, what is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew when you were 18? Well, this is a lesson that I really internalized when I was about 19. So I could, but it's don't be mediocre. Mm -hmm. Don't be mediocre. Be excellent. Be extraordinary. You know, and I I think I spent my adolescence and youth trying to be in the 51st percentile. As long as I could consider myself better than average, I would stop. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And at a certain point, I found that to be just the most hollow and boring philosophy of life, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I kind of took that mantra on of just like everything you do, do your best. You know, you don't have to be the best at it comparatively but do your best do my best Mm -hmm. and that is what excellence is all about it's just whatever you do just try to do your best you know Mm -hmm. and that's a lesson that it's good to keep reminding myself of nice i like that one what do you think is the most important value to have as a man kindness love the the pathology of the masculine is to be over aggressive and domineering and so i think the medicine for that is just that tender heart of kindness beautiful man and Last but not least, a final simple message that you have for the men out there, if you could capture it in 15 words or less, thinking of all those men with all those ears all around the world who are listening right now, what would you share with them? Don't be afraid to be soft, to be loved, to be tender. It's the most beautiful, beautiful part of life. Excellent, man. Well, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation. I look forward to many more with you and 
Thank you for also being such a support for me in my life in the many ways you have over the years, including everything that I've been able to create here that's going out into the world. You're one of those pillars that the foundation of my life has stood upon. It's an honor to, to grow and create by your side. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, last thing I'll say is I'm just, I'm so happy where I live right now. I'm so grateful. Even I hear myself speak and I can just feel the relaxed nature of my, of my life and my being right now. And it's, it has to be because I'm, I'm living in a way that I want to. And I'm grateful that you and your passion and your energy and your finding a solution ability has been a huge part in making that possible, man. So from bottom of my heart, thank you. Pleasure is all mine. All right. This was a special one for me. Uh, I love to bring the people who are closest to me in my life here on the show to share our perspectives. This is simply an example of a conversation that Emiliano and I would ordinarily have. We just happened to hit record this time. And I hope that you got something from hearing about our relationship, our experiences, and especially Emiliano's journey to fulfilling a vision that he's held for many years that we've held together. So um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please head over to risingman.org and go get yourself involved. If you're just sitting out there listening to the podcast, take a leap, jump into the fire circles, jump into Inferno, apply to be a part of Compass, whatever that is, get yourself more involved because that's the way that you're going to find fulfillment and clarity in your life. I promise you. And while you're over at risingman.org, you can check out the show notes for all links and resources pertaining to this episode and others. Wherever you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe and follow us, leave comments, leave reviews. It goes a long way, trust me, towards helping other men find this podcast. I've had messages from men telling me they've been listening for six months now and they, they found it because of comments and messages and shares from other men in their community. So please continue to do that. It's really helping to keep this mission and this movement going. And check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Shout outs to my Rising Man power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, and Mark. Thank you guys for everything that you do in helping this movement move. It's essential. It's essential to have a team. If I can give one more endorsement for having a team, everything that we're doing today and the only reason that Rising Man keeps growing is because I'm not doing it by myself. So thank you guys for answering the call and stepping forward. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.